You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. This is a Houndsman XP podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. On this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, we go to the land down under and talk to a coursing dog, Sidehound Hunter from Australia. And uh, Seth, this is where you're earning all that glorious fame and money that you're getting paid from the (laughs) Houndsman XP Podcast. Yeah, maybe one and not the other. We'll let the fans decide which. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you're building a new house, so... I am. Yeah, so... I mean, just think about it. That wouldn't have been that wasn't possible before you joined Houndsman XP. Not at all. Yep, it's all hound. It's just built out of uh, dreams and 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 hair bones, That's jackrabbit right. bones. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I'm pretty excited about it, though. Tell us about Luke. <laughs> so uh, Luke is a good friend of mine. We met in Aust- uh, we met in Australia. Now we met online, and uh, we've been talking for a while. Uh, he's just a real interesting guy, and man, he has a wealth of just. I mean, Australia is so weird and so different the way australians talk i swear it's not it's, it's just a different language you it know draws he's you not, yeah he's not he's not using australian jargon when we talk but just the animals they hunt is just so cool i mean we can talk about tree and coons all day but can you talk about tree and cats you know what i mean so right, right. i just really enjoyed yeah so it was just he's just and he's really smart and he's got a really cool perspective on stuff and uh Man, I just enjoyed talking to him, and we have, we covered a lot of cool stuff. So I uh, I'm really excited for the for the fans to listen to him and ha- hear what he has to say because it is just it's very unique. That's what it is. Yes, it is. It's a it's a change of pace uh, from what we know as houndsmen here in the United States and Canada, and I think it's pretty cool to go over the, you I, know yeah. to be able to visit over there with Luke and hear how they hunt the uh, overall perspective of hunting in australia and uh you know just the overall feeling about it it's pretty pretty good stuff so yeah i i am uh, very pumped for the fans to hear this one really i am yeah. um I, I thought it was really cool how he also uh, well i don't want to give away any never mind i'll let the listeners get there but <laughs> i'm grinning i'm grinning that's all i can say no so. doubt no doubt so we'll probably get some mail from the hsus after this one's over maybe i don't know <laughs> That's uh, uh, fine. Yeah, the, they'll have to. They can they can send it to 
to uh, Luke Pywell in Australia. There you go. Yeah. So, hey, there are a lot of exciting things happening, especially on our Patreon page. Uh, we're gaining some steam there with people that are coming out and supporting the Houndsman XP podcast. And, and I personally want to say thank you to all the people that are taking us serious enough and that we're bringing value to you to the level where you want to you want to be a part of it and seth you've been a big contributor to the patreon page uh with articles and things like that can you give anybody any teasers for anything that's coming yeah so um i have some videos everyone's asking me videos of the hunts videos of the hunts i'm working on it and uh, i also have another article coming up i have two already and uh they're full-length articles talking about what's going on and pick lots of hd pictures that i'm able to get from our speeding dog buggy but i got some videos coming up in the works and uh, some live content and uh, i'm going to have a q a session with my dogs there so our patreon patrons can come out and uh, ask me questions and get to see my dogs up close and yeah i want to one day i hope to get some video from their perspective so stay tuned patrons there's a lot of cool stuff coming from my end and from the other guests or the other members of houndsman xp2 yeah and as you as you learn how to do this see you've kind of been the guinea pig you've been the one that has decided hey i'm gonna figure out how to do this while we've all got our own jobs you're going to teach us all how to do this so we can we can have (laughs) those same types of input right yeah i got the energy of a guinea pig some people would say i have the look of a guinea pig in my face so (laughs) i'm a good i guess i'll be a good test subject for it so oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. It'll be great. But uh, coming up real soon, okay, every month, this is what I want our Patreon members to understand. Every month we are going to do a giveaway. Uh, and that monthly giveaway is going to range in value uh, from 50 to $100. Semi-annually, we will do a bigger drawing, and that will be valued up to $200. Uh, or 200 to $500 is the, the value of that. If you come in at $8 a month, and if you come in at $12 a month, you're going to be eligible for all of the monthly giveaways, the semi-annual giveaway, and our annual giveaway, which will be up to $1,000 prize package that we'll draw one time a year. So if, you're a, if you come in at a $12 level, you've got 14 opportunities a year to to uh, be included in these exclusive drawings only for our patreon members yes sir i'm also thinking uh i'm i'm thinking next level as far as for our 12 dollar members i want to have um i want maybe one day to be able to have someone come hunt with us with me because i can i mean i have the ability to take someone out there so stay tuned patrons we're working on things that i think are going to make it well worth your time and we very much value your support and your fandom and uh yeah, I, I'm very excited to be contributing and be a part of the team. And, and uh, I got lots of ideas and things rolling out. So keeping it fresh and fun for everybody and well worth your time. I think that's the most important. And, and we joked about, you know, making money. We're not making as much money as everybody thinks, you know. The, but we do have bills that we have to pay. We've got uh, hosts for podcasts. We've got equipment. We've got, you know, cameras to that we that we invest this in and but the main thing that we want to do is bring you the highest quality guests guest recordings that we possibly can and that 
is always done in person. Those are always our mm. best best interviews that we have. We have okay. figured a bunch of stuff out on this Skype deal. You know, I, I watch Fox News. I watch uh, even the biggest podcasts in the industry now are trying to figure out how to do remote interviews. We've been doing it, and we're getting better at it. So, uh, but once things are back to what we would call normal then we want to get on the road and and get out there and sit down with people face to face and definitely your patronage on our patreon account is going to help us do that but there's one other thing that we're going to do with that money and seth we talked about this do you, do you remember what it is well we talked about a bunch of things but hmm freedom oh duh yeah, My goodness. I thought we were still talking about traveling. Of course, we want to support Freedom Hunters and we want to be able to yeah, host the the Freedom Hunters event that we put on and I want to be able to we want to be able to go there and have the ability to capture those events in even more high quality than we can now and and uh, we want to be able to continue their important mission of support to our veterans. We want to be able to get people from the field to the field. I mean, and with Houndsman XP supporting Freedom Hunters and vice versa, we can use our money that we generate on Patreon to help veterans get back out in the field and enjoy hunting again especially with hounds from our perspective we can yeah i mean i if, let me let me I'd tell you let me let me throw something in. yeah i agree let me throw something in there this is kind of a news flash so last week i was contacted by uh, a, a hunter from michigan and he's a podcast listener he's also involved in the uh, michigan sporting dog federation and he wants to host a freedom hunters event during the bear season take a veteran or veterans with his group of his hunting party up there so those are the types of things that when we put this podcast out there and we support an organization like freedom hunters it all comes together and that's what our Mm -hmm. patrons are paying to support is our ability to produce this show that trickles down to a guy that's that that wants to pay something back and take these veterans from field to field as you said and that's all made possible because we can keep this podcast going so that's the value of our our patreon account definitely definitely that is such a good point yeah (laughs) i uh i I would love to host a freedom hunters event too in the future and i have the ability to so that's something we can stay tuned for all our fans and stuff listening but you're, you're not just helping what our dream at Houndsman XP is not to not to help us, but to help you, to help everybody. We want to be that umbrella that preserves, protects, and promotes hound hunting nation and worldwide. And we have to get started somehow. And yep. that is the key to the Patreon account. We just want to get it going so that we can help you and you guys can help us. And we can just continue to, well, preserve, protect, and promote. The slogan's perfect. So, yeah. Well... I think we've got a guest that's waiting to come on. So what do you say we roll out this interview, Seth? Let's do it. Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast, everyone. We've got another week of the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus quarantine. When's this thing going to end? Who knows? But uh, I'm tired of it. And uh, But we're still making podcasts here, and we've got a couple pretty cool things going on today one is 
our team member, Associate Seth Hall, is going to be joining me on the mic today to talk to a houndsman from Australia. And before we get there, I want to talk to Seth for a minute. Seth, I really appreciate you uh, finding this finding this houndsman from Australia. I'm glad to be here. And uh, yeah, Luke's a cool guy. I've been talking to him for a long time. So yeah, I'm this. For people that uh, may not be keeping up, you know, Seth, do you remember what episode you came on? I want to kind of do a little backstory of how you ended up on this on the mic as a, a co-host. Yeah, so um, I had posted a lot of content to Facebook because I was just really excited to share a lot of the photos I'd been taking. And uh, I met you there on Facebook, and you kind of reached out to me, and you were like, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And I kind of... I don't know how else to say, but fangirled a little bit, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." So, uh, yeah, I, um, I did episode forty, high octane houndsman, and uh, it's a it's a good way to describe me and the dogs, I guess. I'm pretty spunky, so yeah, uh, yeah. I did the episode, and then uh, had a great time, and then I think you thought I was cool enough to bring me around, so here I am. <laughs> I just liked your energy, Seth, and and uh, your perspective, and I think it, you know, this whole side hound coursing coursing dog. Uh, world is something that that is interesting and doesn't get a lot of exposure and it adds another dimension to what we're doing here at houndsman xp and and uh you know i've said it before i know steve feels the same way but you know when it comes down to preserve protect and promote this lifestyle that we lead i don't care if somebody's hunting rats with with their with their terrier or you know field mice with their with their yard dog it's about the ethical pursuit of game animals with our hounds, regardless of what that is. So, you know, we get a lot of messages and stuff says, do more stuff about coon hunting, do more stuff about bear hunting, do this, do that. But, you know, the overarching mission here is to, to preserve, protect and promote all hound pursuits in that lifestyle. And it's really more about the houndsman. I really like, um, talking to extreme houndsmen. And so, Seth, you definitely fit that bill. I'm glad you're on board with us. I really appreciate the work you're doing on Patreon uh, with the content you're adding there and also uh, social media platforms. But this is going to be your show. You and uh, Luke have have got a relationship here, and uh, I'm just going to let you run with it, brother. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. Yep. (laughs) So you want to introduce our guest? Sure. So uh, this is my buddy, Luke Pywell. He's from Australia, and uh, we met uh, online. He reached out to me probably, what, Luke, like nine months ago? What do you think? Yeah, something like that, six, nine months. G'day, guys. How are you going? Good, Luke. How are you? I'm glad, and I'll just I'll just say a hello to you real quick before I completely turn it over. But from Houndsman XP, I want to tell you that we really appreciate your willingness to come on, on the podcast and, and give us Yankees a uh, perspective of what's going on over there in the southern hemisphere upside down land (laughs) (laughs) no good thanks for having me on i guess um you know i I don't represent australia but i know an awful lot of people that hunt with dogs here and um hunt various different ways as well so it's a passion of mine i've been doing it for 15 16 years and um yeah hopefully i can give a bit of a voice to them whether it's entirely accurate or not we'll see but uh yeah <laughs> yeah i i was always fascinated about hunting with hounds in australia well hunting anything in australia honestly because it's so different there and i just thought it'd be so interesting to to bring on something that 
to bring on a new perspective on both ecology and, and hound hunting and how they work together. Because in Australia, basically, you're just hunting our barnyard, <laughs> which I think is so cool, honestly. I think yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's kind of <laughs> unique here. Like we, Australia, you know, was obviously set aside from the rest of the world until fairly recently. And then European settlement happened and they brought everything and anything over with them. Um, some stuff to hunt, so rabbits and foxes and things like that. And then obviously the rest the rest for food or modes of transport and that sort of stuff. And, you know, with your camels, your donkeys, horses, things like that. And, um, yeah, with the automobile industry coming in, they turned them all loose or they escaped over time. And this, this country is just riddled with feral animals. Yeah, I just think, it, first of all, a tragic loss of the native species, truly. Marsupials are just so unique, and Australia is so unique. I mean, there the tree, some places the trees don't shed their leaves, they shed their bark. How interesting is that? You know, and, and obviously marsupials are a treasure, and you have all these animals that mimic mainland animals but are marsupials. So I just, yeah, and, and obviously, you know, foxes, feral cats, things like that have taken a huge toll on their populations, if not driven them completely to extinction in many areas. So yeah, obviously yeah, we, right. we have a pretty important role to fill. And um, I just kind of wanted to, obviously, I'm, you, we've talked a long time, so I have tons of stuff on my mind that I just think is so awesome. So well, I'll tell you uh, one thing. We can send you some marsupials. We can send you the North American marsupial. We have plenty of possums that we'd be willing to box up and ship over to you, Luke. No, I think you can keep them. We're, we've got we've got plenty of marsupials here as well. So, <laughs> um, look, despite what you might hear on TV or you know watch on the Discovery Channel, or you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys don't actively listen to Peter, but um, they're they're everywhere. It's yeah. the countryside. You know, the farming's come through and sort of. It's made it paradise for for macropods, especially. Um, they've got they've got all the feed that they could want. They've got plenty of shelter and um, and permanent water year round, so they're not struggling in the least. They're pretty much like white-tailed deer now. They've just exploded in a lot of areas, haven't they? Yeah, it's it's um it's phenomenal. Like it, the emus, the emus are the same. I mean, I, I couldn't couldn't quote the year, but Australia literally sent the army out to fight the emus, and they just gave up. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard about the emu wars, and that's two bipeds against each other. It's pretty awesome. You don't get that very often in the animal <laughs> world. <laughs> so, so, so how? What is it about? I've seen stories over the years about rabbits. I've we've had Mark Zepp on here. He talks about the fox. Uh, you're talking about emu, emus. So, what is it about Australia that just allows these population explosions to the point Look, that I, you guys have them? That's crazy. I think it's the farming, to be honest with you. So, um, I couldn't. Don't quote me. I don't know the entire Australia, but I know where I live. And um, yeah, like the more the more farming community opened up. It's just, it's just, uh, it's permanent food source for them. So they'll, they'll live on anything. They'll live on bark, like you say. But, um, but yeah, they'll eat the stubble right down, right down to the dirt. So we've had in the in the history of Australia, we've had some really decent plagues of rabbits, also rats and mice and things mm -hmm. like that as well, um, where the ground is literally vibrating, and um, oh, it costs it costs the economy billions of dollars. So they're a real menace. Hmm. Dang. <laughs> do you do a lot of rabbit hunting, Luke? I rabbit hunt probably more than anything else, um, purely because 
they're there, they're accessible, and uh, and I like to run my dogs. So, you know, if it's if it's um, a night sat calling for foxes or cats, or you know, a couple of hours of sending the dog after rabbit after rabbit, I do intend to go out there and, and hunt predators, but uh, I get distracted quite often. I'll tell you, the rabbits are delicious too. European rabbits, probably the highest quality rodent there is to eat i would say in my experience yeah i think a lot of people turn their nose up at it but i think we're lucky to have it you know like yeah i, I don't know i i don't understand why people don't eat more yeah uh i'm gonna step away for just a second you go ahead and run with this thing and uh i'm i want to hear about the hounds and stuff but i'm gonna step away for just a moment okay no problem All right. you can just edit this part out luke no, we'll, we're yeah, not going to sure. edit. We won't edit it. This is just normal stuff. Oh, yep, there you go. Go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, Luke, I wanted to ask uh, what kind of dogs you're running after rabbits. Because, you know, here in, in America, rabbits are a lot different than the European rabbit. Well, at least in the southwestern United States where I hunt. Um, we have cottontails and we have hares. And, and cottontails, like the eastern cottontail the United States, they tend to get into the heavy cover um, but our southwestern cottontails don't dig their own burrows. They'll just hijack the burrows of, of other animals that dig. And uh, hares do not go to ground unless they're desperate to escape a hound. Um, they will just get up and run forever. But the European rabbit's a lot different, and you probably need some special kind of dogs. But what are you using to hunt, and how do you hunt rabbits in Australia with your dogs? Yeah, so over the years, I, personally, I've had different types of dogs. I've had stag hounds, pure whippets, combination of, of the two. I'm, that's what I'm running at the moment, so I've got a, a whippet stag hound. Um, uh, my mates are running half-cross um, pit greys, so they're getting dogs that you know tra- traditionally were used for bull baiting and, and pit fighting, and nowadays they're used for hunting pigs. We've got a massive problem with pigs up in up in the north of Australia and the east. Um, so we get some pretty good genetics from those from those dogs, and we cross them across a track greyhound and get the first cross out of those. So they have a hybrid vigour, and they're just they're all round athletes. So they're oh, they're, yeah. so, they're they're bulkier than like a greyhound or a whippet. But um, but some of the stuff I've seen them do is it's amazing. They they're all around athletic dogs. Yeah, they are so beautiful. I've seen a lot of uh, greyhounds and and uh, their crosses. You know, people are crossing them now for hunting like pigs in Texas at night. People use like thermal cameras and stuff to watch the dogs run out there and and just catch the pigs outright instead of chasing them with scent dogs first. But I know that those. Yeah, we, uh, we- Go ahead, bud. Sorry, we do a bit of that here too. So, like, I've, I've run straight greyhounds on pigs and um, anything sort of upwards of 80 kilos, they struggle on it and they'll bail. But but around there and down, they'll, they'll lug them pretty hard. And uh, the staghounds, the staghounds are a greyhound, deerhound, and in Australia, it's really just worker to worker. So it could have anything in it, to be honest with you. But um, but traditionally, they're a deerhound, greyhound cross. And uh, like, they'll swing off anything. So Oh, yeah. Those are basically what we... Ball. That's what we hunt coyotes with here, the staghound in America. They're and exactly like you said, they're just worker to worker, bred to just get it done, and they are super gritty. You know, people think because sight hounds are like lean and skinny that they're not strong, but they are think, super powerful. <laughs> I think another thing that that puts people off them is how meek they are around humans. So, like, you know, if you if you raise your voice around a sight hound, it sort of cringes and slinks mm-hmm. away. It it really can't tolerate that. But uh, but on game, it's it's a whole other beast. Yeah, they're, um, yeah. they're incredible. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, the first time I saw coyote dogs in action, I was like, these are werewolves because they were so friendly. And, and like you said, they're just so sensitive and, and friendly around people. And when they see prey, they just morph into this beast, you know, and, and they're amazing animals. So, yeah. And yeah, I've seen pictures online that, where you just have tons of rabbits stacked up and that's just awesome. I love it. I mean, you guys are catching lots of rabbits doing a good service out there. But what else What else do you guys like to hunt? Uh I know there's so many barnyard critters out there for you guys. So I, I touched on it before about the um, foxes and cats. And I, I've been online recently talking to people in the States and just getting shot down about hunting cats. So I kind of just shut my mouth about it. But look, it, they are an absolute scourge. They, they, they kill countless amounts of animals per night. And I think the last thing I read, there's between two and six um, million feral cats in australia so you know probably not yeah. not taking into account the ones around the outskirts of the city and the little hobby farms and things like that because they're well and truly established but you know you go right out into the countryside into the outback there's nothing there's nothing really predating upon them except for the odd feral dog and and they're out there doing damage as well um and potentially potentially an eagle or two here and there but i mean there's, oh, there's yeah. enough roadkill around to keep those things alive as well so Mm-hmm. I don't think the feral cats get a hard time, um, and they're incredibly difficult to hunt. So, I mean, we'll go I out. Call- couldn't agree more. Yeah, they're they're a scourge. You guys are facing the absolute worst feral cat problems in in the world. Really, I, I you'll never catch flack from me as a wildlife biologist. I just see the firsthand destruction those little dudes bring, and I'm like, get them all. I, they're just targets to me. Anytime I see them, they're going down. If they don't got a collar on, they're going down. So, <laughs> yeah, we used to, doing I, what doing. I could tell you all kinds of stories about from the game warden days, cat stories, but uh, we'd have to do that off the air. It'd get <laughs> us in trouble. But uh, yeah, yeah I, uh, it's just a cultural well, thing. You know, people, when you have an animal like that, people in the United States think of a cat and, you know, Fluffy laying on the couch and being your little friend, and, and they fail to recognize that i've i've run into some pretty nasty feral cats out there uh being in the outdoors stuff that was pretty ferocious and you know they're they're the most prolific killers that we have so yeah it's it we can't sit back and judge what what you're doing in australia from our comfortable seat over here in the united states it's not comparable yeah i think another reason the cats get a pass is um in the in the um agricultural area they're not causing the same damage that foxes are causing to the farmers. So the foxes are killing the lambs, pulling the guts out of the sheep while they're birthing the lambs and things like that. Whereas the cats, they, they could potentially be doing a service, you know, they're killing rodents as well as all the birds and the lizards and anything and everything they can get into their mouths, they will. Um, they're, they're not necessarily financially costing the farmers anything. And so they're not targeted by some and um and they they're a real problem yeah yeah they're just and they breed i mean people that don't understand what a wild cat could be like i'm like go grab a raccoon that's what i mean that's like, right go, yeah. go go grab a raccoon that's faster and meaner <laughs> like that's, with sharper that's claws a, yeah yeah, yeah. the and first I mean, time my hounds caught a cat they thought it was going to be like a rabbit <laughs> 
and my gra- yeah. my, my greyhound caught that cat, and when it spun around, my greyhound was like, why does this rabbit a cactus now? Like, ah! Yeah. And he actually ran away from it. It was pretty good. <laughs> no, you but, took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, you know, we put a dog that's like a five, six-year-old experienced dog on a cat, and, and that thing treats it with the respect it deserves, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you put a, an inexperienced dog towards a cat, you... um that first reaction is is very telling on whether whether or not you got a dog with the with the genes to continue doing that job or not so yeah that cat will let you know the rabbits and cats are a lot different <laughs> so yeah you, you mentioned you mentioned some other stuff there luke that i'm curious about you know you talked about predation on on the lizards and and things like that so uh, that was intriguing to me. So you guys look at what's the function? What does it hurt if, if uh, you know, the, your lizards are being, what do they do for you, for the Australians? Well, uh, predominantly, well, firstly, they're there and they deserve to be there. Um, but secondly is the, the tourism side of things as well. Like we have some really unique animals here and, you know, we'd like them to remain here. So um i can't quote the stats but cats are responsible for more extinctions in australia than anything else right um followed followed, i think pretty closely by foxes um foxes aren't to be underestimated but uh but it's cats are the real problem and um and they're just they're just you know they say they've got nine lives well that's for a reason you know they they they're incredibly difficult to hunt I wanted to ask you that question and get, and I'm glad I like the way you answered it because they live here and they deserve to be here, you know. It, and I also wanted to show that, you know, most people don't think about a lizard, uh, and we classify these our our animals and we give them statuses within our, you know, within our uh, cultures, and especially uh, things that can be identified as a house pet. A lot of people would say, take my wife, for instance, any snake that's alive is a bad snake. So we've, we, there's nothing off limits for her. For me, I look at it and think, why would you think that? You know, a a king snake is, is valuable. This rat snake is good. Uh, But as humans, we try to humanize and give each, each animal a a status within our life. And, uh, you know, lizards. Lizards are not looked at as warm and cuddly, and you know you don't you don't cuddle with them and stuff like that. So why save them? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I guess you know people do the same thing here. They they it's mainly the city bound people that you know never leave the cappuccino strip. They're sitting there drinking their soy lattes or whatever they're doing, and they've got they're very opinionated on what happens in the bush. Yes, but uh. That's the same here. Welcome to the world of wildlife biology. Yeah. (laughs) How how many of them do you bump into out there, Chris? Oh. Seth, rather. Oh, Seth. Seth, I I ran into him too, but Seth, you're current. You roll with it, man. Yeah, well, like, uh, I'm a field tech, so, like, I'm working out in the field a lot, but when we do outreach stuff, and and I keep my ear really tuned into what's happening legislatively around New Mexico, especially, and... uh, I mean, it's both sides. You know what I mean? It's not just one side. It's not the, just the soy latte liberals or whatever. It's also everybody's got their own opinion on how wildlife should work. And it's rare and refreshing when you get to hear someone that's just kind of trying to be um, trying to be mindful of both sides because it's very complicated. And like 
everything in wildlife management is super complicated as it's a metaphor for everything in life i mean everything has a, a rich complex story and 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 luckily in my opinion feral cats are one of the few that are pretty black and white <laughs> you can just be like they are bad like there's really no good side to wild cats in australia so so, so our government um for the last four years they had a target by the start of this year i haven't actually researched to see if they made it or not in the last couple of years they plan to kill uh 20 million uh, sorry two million cats so awesome that was that was their intention whether they whether they achieved it or not i don't know i know we had there's a bunch of american celebrities jumping up and down about it but <laughs> went ahead with it anyway because glad, we, know, glad we could help excited. yeah yeah <laughs> So Luke, I got a question for you. Um, what do you hunt foxes? Because I was very curious about that. How do you hunt a fox in Australia? Like, how does it even so, work? So it, it, there's multiple ways to do it. Um, if you're like right out in the wheat belt or the or the outback with big open plains, you shine a spotlight around at night, you'll see its eyes, and um, you can pretty much drive up to it. I've seen the, some videos on YouTube of coyote hunters doing a similar thing with their dogs. Mm -hmm. Drive a reasonable distance, dump the dogs. They run after it, course it a few times, and uh, catch it and kill it. Um, that's if you have the luxury of having massive open tracks of land, but most of what we got here is not like that so um the foxes they tend to hug the ridge lines or the, the bushes or the creek lines and, and that sort of stuff uh where a vehicle can't follow and so generally what we do is we'll, we'll get to a what i would call a foxy looking area and um prior to seeing the fox so we predominantly hunting at night and if you shine a spotlight around and you see a fox you see it because you see the reflection of its eyes mm -hmm. and well, those eyes could be looking in one of 360 degrees, right? But they're True. looking straight at you, and they're looking at you for a reason, and you're already busted. So mm -hmm. we pull up, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit further away than where we think they are, or think they are likely to be, and we'll call to them. So we use a bunch of different mouth calls, and um, something that represents a, a rodent or a small animal or a rabbit or something like that in distress. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we'll have a you know, quick flick around with the spotlight. If you see some eyes, obviously that's where it's coming from. Keep calling, and then when it gets close enough, turn the light on and off a few times. When it's close enough, drop the spotlight on it solid and release the dogs, and they'll chase it down. So you run in those half-breed uh, pit greys after the foxes too. Do they work well for them? Pit greys work well. Like We run straight whippets on them as well. Um, whippets have a bit of a harder time with them. I, I prefer to use a, a, a bit of a bigger dog because they just they just kill the fox so effectively. Mm -hmm. So they'll they'll grab it wherever they wherever they happen to grab it, usually on the back leg somewhere, and sort of dust it across the ground. And as it's sliding, an experienced dog will transfer immediately to the back of the neck, mm -hmm. and then basically cervical dislocation. So you know the way you would the way you would kill a chicken in your backyard. That's mm -hmm. that's how you're killing that fox. So yeah, very very quick. How big people how big like is the fox? Like... Is it... Sorry, Seth. How no big problem. are your foxes? Um, I reckon around five or six kilos. So I don't I don't know what that is in pounds. Oh man, but, you're um... gonna make me do math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the reason I, I dreaded this. The reason I ask is uh, the reason I ask is because when I was talking to uh, Bear Saragusa and uh, Jorgen Christofferson from Norway. They talked about fox hunting over there, and their foxes are considerably bigger. So, um, 
bigger than the North American red fox, and it, it kind of floored me because they they're no there's they are the apex predator, so uh, <laughs> they just grow. Yeah, in the north, you're going to get a lot bigger animals. So as as creatures move north, their body density and body size increases. It's a adaptation to stay warm, pretty much. And in the warmer climates, they're going to be a lot thinner, longer legs, um, longer ears, longer tails, that kind of stuff. It's not, yeah, it's not to say we don't get big foxes. We do, and and I see them online sometimes, and they and they're up there, and um and then there's even bigger ones which get away. So you, know, you said five to six kilos, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, so six kilos would be thirteen point two pounds. That's a uh, that's small for even a North North American uh, red fox over here. So that's interesting. They're like a cat. <laughs> that's a, that's crazy. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. There's, they're they're around the size of a, a small whippet, like a little Italian greyhound type dog. Right. They're around that size. Mm-hmm. So. They can run a lot better than people think too. The first time I saw a, a swift fox run, which is not quite obviously a red fox, but they're both bolteds. They're both foxes, but they can run a lot better than I thought. They are fast. And they can turn they all dying too. Incredible. Yeah, they, the the only fox we have here is the red fox, so vulpes vulpes, and um, I, I reckon the way I'd explain how how they sort of step out of the way of a dog as it's as it's about to turn it is is probably the closest animal I've seen to a snake other than a snake they sort of they do this little swish to the side and the dogs just barrel straight past it you need to introduce you to a jackrabbit then clearly (laughs) (laughs) yeah so what's a long fox race luke like if you what what would make your jaw drop with like power of a fox running and making those dogs look silly what what's a long race probably a minute okay yeah i was curious about like what what yeah, if they if 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 it's not dead within forty five seconds, that's that's surprising. If it's still going within a minute, and the dogs haven't lost it through the scrub, um, yeah, like so out in the plains, the fox he's not getting away. So that's that's where you get your minute if the dogs were really tired at the end of the gotcha. night or gotcha. you know, or that fox is just pulling some incredible moves. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's a long time, a long race for a fox. On a good night, how many foxes could you expect to catch? The best I've done overnight, and it includes the afternoon and the next morning as well, uh, is 16. Oh, but, dang. Nice. But, some, yeah. Yeah. but like we were, we were it, the farm we're on, um, they were lambing early, and uh, he, was, he was pretty desperate to get rid of them, so we put a decent effort in that night, and, uh, and I think we just got lucky as well as, as, well as the skill. So. Oh, yeah. That's um, awesome. But yeah, three, three or four is a is a fairly significant night. Um, but there is guys in different parts of the country that that'll pull bigger numbers than I am. Oh sure, sure. Um, but they've got to be there as well. That's the, that's the other thing. So Mark, I think Mark yeah. Zepp described it when he went out and fox hunted out. He went to Australia and hunted fox with his predator calls and stuff. I mean, he was talking. It was almost like he had to shoot him in self defense. There were so many, you know. Uh, come at, trying to get in on him and just he couldn't believe how many fox were there so i don't think we fully can grasp how many how many of those predators you have so it, it depends on the area as well so like most areas that i hunt are heavily hunted so it's incredibly difficult um 
but then if you know if I go onto a station like a friend of mine who's got what's he, he's got five hundred twenty five thousand acres, so it's a fair amount of land, and he's managing next door, which is three hundred fifty thousand. So if we go up there, yes, we'll kill a lot of foxes. But he's running beef, and because um, the dogs up there are a pain, and they're not only killing these sheep, but they'll kill the goats too. So they're, they're kind of out of control. So um, yeah, I mean we could we could go up there and get some real decent numbers, but I prefer to do it in the like in the sheep community. So mm-hmm. where we're, we're making more of a difference, not only just for the, the native wildlife, but also for the farmer as well. How do the farmer, how do the farmers feel about hunters in, in the outback or rural, rural Australia? You there, Chris? Yeah, we're still here. I don't know. Yeah, what, you, there you, I don't know what I missed. Up. I have no clue what nothing, was going nothing, on. We were just staying quiet so that we could cut that part out. We were just, I, I was telling Luke, now that we can come back, I was like telling Luke, throwing down some scientific names. Heck yeah. Volpes, Volpes. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so I was all pumped about that. <laughs> oh, man. No, my question was, my question was, um, how does the agriculture or the farmer in Australia feel about a houndsman? Do you guys have conflicts or do they welcome you or what's the deal? So, so I don't know what your laws are like compared to ours, but we can't we can't go on private property without express permission from the landowner or manager, right? Same here, mm-hmm. same here, okay. same. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, the the ones that obviously let me on, they they're happy um, for us to be there. But then there's there's others that think that uh, that your dogs are just going to tear their sheep to bits, or you know you're going to you're going to cut fences to get into their back paddocks, and you know some of that does go on. Um, I'm not going to lie, people do that, but those people would be the, the like the majority, uh, minority. Sorry, so mm-hmm. I think most people that are hunt that are hunting with dogs here are pretty straight up guys. They're, they're all rounder, all walks of life people, and um, they just in, enjoy the hunt and. You know, if you if you don't have permission from this farm, move to the next one. Yeah. Places to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that property I talked about. Um, my buddy, who's who's more of a mentor of mine, an older an older guy. Hopefully, he doesn't listen to this because I've just called him old. But um, look, he <laughs> he took years to get us down there. He was he was he was talking to that cocky or farmer for uh for a period of time, and um, eventually we got down there and. Sort of to paint the picture, we showed up with these two greyhound cross-type dogs and they had tracking collars on them, they had electric collars on them and we had a rifle with us. And the, and the deal was if we lost the dogs, we could find them. They had the tracking collars, same as what they use for the pigs. If they do anything, you know, going to the sheep yards, uh, if we call them back and they don't listen to us, we'll zap them with the electric collar. And, you know, if they if they start disturbing the sheep bad enough or attacking one, we'll just shoot the things. And um, mm-hmm. I reckon about three hours in, no electric collar, rifles were put away, and uh, obviously no tracking collar either. So he just saw how under control the dogs were. They've got a job to do. They know what their job is, and uh, they're not interested in what they're not allowed to touch in the least. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's a long road to get there with a dog, um, and you have to do it right because you've got a dog with such a high prey drive. It actually wants to catch and kill everything that moves. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, if you can direct that drive and let it express it and turn it off, wanting to do it to other animals, the animals it's not supposed to do it to, um, you, you'll have a content dog and content farmer, and you know you're putting meat on the table and you're killing a few ferals along the way. So, 
So let me get this straight. I want I want to make sure I understood everything you said there. So you guys approached a farmer and more or less told the farmer, if my dog attacks your sheep, I'll shoot it. Correct. Or you can shoot it. Both. Did you get a did you give the gun to the farmer? He had his own. But yeah, hundred percent. Like if they if if my dog's attacking his sheep or even his chickens down at the at the farmhouse, put a bullet in it because that's his, that's his property and it's my property that's damaging his. He has every right to stop it. So totally agree. both yeah. morally and legally. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, the first time we I wonder around- how many. I want to know right now, and you can send us messages on Facebook. How many houndsmen out there in America? feel that confident that their dogs are straight that they're going to do that 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 right there i'm send us messages i want to hear it because because i don't know that i'm i'm there (laughs) (laughs) i like that approach though it's like hey you know it's your property and and yeah i think i think we would have a lot of problems here in the united states but i I, that that and that was amazing i'm glad you brought that up I've seen Luke's dogs online there. He's got some really well-trained dogs. That brindle dog of yours, Luke, he's awesome. He is awesome. Probably got some plot in him. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's something that I personally do. I'll only run one dog at a time. So I'll only own one dog at a time, and I'll only run one dog at a time. But like, what I mean is so if we go out with three dogs, I'd expect there's three people as well. Mm-hmm. And you are 100% responsible for everything that that dog does. Mm-hmm. That's true. You guys, the thing is, too, is if you don't mind, Luke, if, if I can, uh, I'll explain. Like, hunting at night gives you a lot more control over a single animal because that keeps the race a lot closer to the to the release point from the dog because that spotlight kind of keeps the animal in a more or less quarter mile or, like, maybe a half kilometer circle from your, like, release point. Is that about right, would you say? That's that's about right, yeah, but it's not just about that as well. So when we when we pull up on an, on an animal or on a, a group of animals, we'll select the individual animal that we want by dropping the spotlight on it, mm-hmm. and the dogs know that that's the one that they're going to go and hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the one they'll chase. They'll run past everything else, and they'll go to that one. So that takes some training to get them to that point. Um, and then if they miss it or if something goes wrong or we decide, no, come back, turn the spotlight off, call them back. Mm-hmm. So, so up until up until this point with this dog, um, so you know, obviously as a younger guy, I was young and inexperienced, and so we used to run the xylem sticks. So those, you know, like the fishermen will use them on their the end of their line or on the end of their rod. Mm-hmm. So we crack crack some decent sized ones of those and put them on the dog's collar. So you'd have different coloured dogs. You'd know which dog yours is, and you'd call them back. And if if one dog wasn't listening or was doing the wrong thing or not coming back quick enough you might give it a nick with an electric collar just to remind it that you've got some control over it and whoop, back he comes yeah mm-hmm. um but no nowadays i've got i've got nothing but faith in my dog um so i think we train right yeah i was so oh go ahead chris i'm sorry seth i i this is old hat to you i know i'm just intrigued so i get excited and uh uh it's all it's all new to me, so I've got a ton of questions. Go for it, go it. for it. But, sure. <laughs> um, so you said that you only keep one dog. Yes, is that what you said? That's me personally. Yep. Yeah. So are you using this dog on multiple multiple animals? Multiple, you know, multiple. You're getting multiple uses out of this dog. Yeah. So I'm using him on um, rabbits, rats, cats, foxes, pigs, and goats. 
pigs and goats. That's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. Man, I could I we could fill up a whole podcast on this because you're talking about feral goats, is that correct? Yes. But yet you don't expect you, you absolutely will not tolerate this hound, this hound chasing this sheep. So you've got a goat is okay, a sheep is not okay. Goats and sheep are 100% different animals. Yep. So that's if right. They, if they breed if they breed together, the the offspring's infertile, right? They're totally separate. I mean, they're close obviously because that's why that's why we're having this conversation, but Yes. I can smell a sheep. Yep. I can smell the the What's the oil that a sheep produces? Lanolin. Lanolin. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, and I can smell a goat, and I could tell personally with, you know, as a human being, I can tell you the difference between the two with my eyes closed. So mm-hmm. the dog doesn't make that mistake. So if you've got a feral goat out in a mob of sheep, which happens, they'll run straight into that mob of sheep, and they'll catch the goat. Yeah, and old nasty Billy smells like nothing you can describe. They're just like the worst <laughs> smelling animal ever. Yeah, they're musky. And oh. we had we we raised goats here the whole time my kids were growing up. But I just think that that's amazing. That and it's not amazing. I understand it. You know, a dog's olfactory senses is beyond our perception. So absolutely, if we can smell the difference, they can smell the difference. But I think a lot of people would think, you know, you got two four legged ungulates that that are running across the landscape. I just think it's it's a it's a great topic to discuss that yes our dogs are capable of fine-tuning to this point where they are not going to attack your sheep but we will catch your goats your feral goats that's that's cool stuff the dogs when they catch a goat they'll they'll get the muscle just behind the ear right so they don't grab the ear and and sort of shred the ear they just hold the muscle that controls that ear with the Mm -hmm. tip of their teeth they don't even do any damage to it when they catch a pig like a mob mob pig we call them so like a they go into a sound or a pigs and there's sort of something from a sheep size and below, they'll do the same thing. When they're on a decent sized pig that's actually putting up a fight and a, has a chance of injuring the dog, the ferocity that they hit them with is, is something to behold. So it's not no, no different. I don't think there's much difference between the the sort of the, the pace and the strength that they're putting into a, into a feral pig versus your bulldogs over in the States when they're hitting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was asked how big. Oh, man, Chris and me are so full of questions. We can't. I know help it's because we're both we're both wound tied here. I've Go, it. Seth. Okay, I was going to ask you. Um, I, I'm assuming you guys. There's no goats. You don't hunt at night. I'm sure you're hunting them diurnally, right? You're, you're hunting them during the day. Both. Oh, okay. So you can Sorry, find goats well, at they, night. Okay. Yeah. So if you if you if you know where they're bedded down, or, oh, you, gotcha. or, you, you, or you just happen across them. Um, then yeah, you'll hunt them at night. I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think actually one of the most dangerous situations I found myself in was hunting goats at night with the dogs. So we're, uh, in the middle of the outback and, you know, Australia is a mining country as well. And we found ourselves in a minefield, but we didn't know it. So it was an underground minefield and they have these things called vent shafts. So it's basically a straight up tunnel. Mm-hmm. Could be 10 meters, could be a hundred, depending on how deep the, deep the tunnel is. And um, around that, there's a small windrow, so it's probably about about half the size of a of a Ute tire, so a truck or a truck tire, you'd, you'd call it. And so I ran to I ran to that windrow to stand on top of it with a spotlight because we had we had dogs out catching goats. And just as I went to step forward, I shone it down on the ground to see what I was going to stand on. And I'd, I'd sort of half committed to going as well, and there was no ground, so it was a good oh. 100, 100 odd meters. Like the spotlight light just disappeared down into the 
oily blackness. <laughs> OSHA wow. doesn't exist in Australia, apparently. <laughs> Just leaving yeah, open like, oh, pits oh, everywhere. Well, look, they put a window around it, so you weren't going to drive into it. Yeah, so. yeah. Dang, that's crazy. <laughs> that's, yeah, man. And and so, like, what's a what's a good goat race? I'm just curious. Like, what's a good? I, I can't imagine a goat is like a jackrabbit. But what what is a good goat race? There's no goat races. Like, sometimes I get away if they're on like a, a limestone cliff. That's that's where they excel. They're just gonna ping up that thing. They've got little sort of almost like rubber on the bottom of their hooves, and up they go. And the, the dogs can't handle that. But um, but no, the goats aren't getting away. They're, yeah, you're literally you're catch, catching them for the table. So um, you know, if they get on a billy, you tell them to leave it, send them after the mob, and, and they'll go when they catch on the size that you want. You're going to either tie it up or or um, slaughter it just there and then. Mm. Yeah. That sounds great, man. I wish I could do that. Holy smokes. You know, it's funny. A, a dog runs for a long jackrabbit race is five minutes and those dogs are, you know, pushing their bodies to the maximum to catch a seven pound animal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, it would be sweet to be able to go grocery shopping with my hounds a little bit more effectively, but in America, we just don't have that opportunity. So yeah, so you guys are lucky. Goats, if we're catching goats, you know, to try and catch as many as we can, um, for whatever reason, whether it be to feed the dogs or the farmer doesn't want them. Um, you'll catch as many as you can catch yourself, your fitness level. So you'll run to one, kill it, run to the next, kill it, run to the next, kill it. And then uh, for me, that's it. Three, four. And, so and in, your, in your guys' country, so here's the big thing, right? Everyone, I wanted to talk about these like weird animals, well, quote unquote weird to Americans, but obviously, the king of the dinner table and of the 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 power of a feral animal in Australia is a feral pig. You guys go after those a lot. Yeah, we do. Um, more more in my past. Like I've got three little kids at home. I don't have the time to get right out where they are. So they they're extremely difficult to get unless you're using the dog with a nose. Mm-hmm. Um, we do mm-hmm. chance upon them from time to time. Like I think I might have sent you a video or two in the past, Seth. But um, yeah. If they're, if they're there uh, and I've got freezer space and I feel like taking one, I'll send the dog. But um, I don't I don't specifically go chasing them. Um, but I have in the past, and they're, they're incredibly powerful. So, oh, man, they're so strong. Um, oh, my God. You see, so how big? with a, like a large 110-kilo boar with huge mm-hmm. tusks, and they'll pick a dog up and throw it around. Um, but normally speaking, they're, they're not going to damage your dog. It's it's the ones with the small tusks. It's probably, I guess, an inch, an inch and a half, maybe. I'm guessing what an inch is based on what I've seen. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But, uh, but but look, basically, if it if it can turn its jaw side like sideways and sharpen its tooth all the way to the tip, that's a dangerous pig. Mm-hmm. The, the larger pigs, their their um, tusks are too big to fit in their jaw, and yeah, they sharpen them on trees and things like that. But it's not as effective. Mm-hmm. And and so like we, that, uh, that brindle that brindle half you're running can go out there and catch a, a small like mob pig yeah yeah he'll catch a mob pig no worries at all mm-hmm. I think uh, I'll, I'll probably hesitate to send him at a big boar just just because oh, of the yeah. he's quite he's quite a tiny dog yeah but um but he'd do it nonetheless like they've they've got big hearts for little dogs mm-hmm. yeah people always ask if I'd send my hair dogs after a pig and I'm like no <laughs> like they have the Obviously, they have enough speed to catch it, and 
But, I mean, my dogs are like a scarecrow covered in muscles. You know what I mean? Like, they are not bred to, to bring something so powerful as a pig down. And, I mean, I, and I know they could hold it, but they need a lot more power. And, and having that half pit in there, yeah, it'll give your dog a lot of grit and a lot more, like, tenacity to hold, too. But, I mean, do you guys have a big culture in Australia of hunting pigs with, like, scent hounds like we do in America, like in the south where they use, like, cur dogs and then a bulldog as a catch dog? Or are you guys using a lot more, like, sight, armored sight dogs, like stag hounds? So they, most people are using either finder balers, mm-hmm. luggers, or, or a combination. So, um, you know, it, it really depends on the terrain as well and where you are. So, like, in far north Queensland, it's it's, it's quite open. Um they can they can run a lugger on something that's that's out in the floodplains or something like that, um, but you know if you're in in sort of thicker bush, you might need something that that can sort of run in there, find it, start barking at it, get it to stop because the pig will, the pig will break a bale. So if it if it feels like a big mob of dogs and people coming down the hill at it, it'll just say no thanks. I'd, I'd rather run, and then it'll run. And then mm-hmm. that finder will have to chase it and sort of pull it up again. And this can go for kilometres or miles. Um, so then, you know, the other the other dog is, is one that will find it and lug it. So it will run in there, find it, and latch hold of it, which is fine if you can get to it quickly. But if it takes you a period of time to get there, um, our weather here, it's, it's hot in the north, it's humid as well. And the dogs cook, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to have your head head sort of screwed on straight if you're going to hunt with dogs for for the dog safety. So, so Luke, I've sounds like the hog hunting isn't a whole lot different in Australia than it is here. And I'm I'm no experienced hog hunter, but I have been and uh, have some friends that are died hard hog hunters. Mike Colley's been on the podcast before. And, uh, you know, a lot of times what happens here is he's, he's running sin hounds and he'll, he'll go ahead and he'll, he'll start the track. And then the, the plots that he runs will actually, some of his plots are, will catch a hog on their own. But, um, uh, a lot of hog hunters here in the United States want that hog to bay up and then they'll, they'll get in there with the bulldog and send the bulldog in to, to finish the catch. And, um, it sounds like it's a little bit there are some differences but it's real similar and and i'm curious about the hogs you're running so are they uh are they feral pigs that that settlers have brought in there or are there there some eurasian strains of in those pigs they're just they're feral pigs from the settler days so they'll be they'll be they'll be mix and match genetics from pigs that have got out and then obviously if, if people have let them go as well um but no they're they just okay nice seth that's all i needed that's all i wanted to weigh in on there yeah, no problem Go ahead. There, you know it's funny there is so much variety australia australia is so big too that's the thing you know it's saying like what's it like in australia luke that's like saying what's it like in america chris i mean it's such a giant yeah. place and so diverse but you know luckily you have such a variety of game kind of around you luke which is really cool um one thing I was very curious about, and the first thing I was kind of really thinking when I started talking to you, Luke, is, okay, so you send a dog out at night, and you guys run, because you guys are running at night, you have more um, more time to hunt in the year, because it's not so hot, right? So, like, yep. my first question was, nine out of the ten most dangerous snakes on the planet live in Australia. Do you ever worry <laughs> about your dog getting tagged by a dangerous snake when you send it out there at night? I mean, I would be... 
pretty worried about rattlesnakes if my dogs are running through brush at night. Um, look, I, I, it's a concern, yeah. But the thing is, so your, your dog's at risk out there hunting, but I think they're more risk sitting on the couch, getting obese and, you know, going brain dead. So um, it, it, it can happen and it does happen more so to the terriers. Um, and, you know, if I, if I was running terriers personally, I'd, I would take the effort to snake-proof them. But with it, but with a sight hound, um, that thing's either running flat tack at something, and all the snake proofing in the world's not going to help it, mm-hmm. or it's attached to something and going around in circles. And again, it's it's not going to be paying attention to a snake on the ground. It's it's doing its job. It's going after exactly what you told it to go after. So, mm-hmm. um, it, if it gets tagged, it gets tagged. Snakes yeah. are out all you know all hours of the day and night. But um, but look, I guess. Snakes don't want to bite you. They they want to slither away and hide, same as any other animal. They just want to escape. So unless you unless you're messing with them, um, you're pretty good to go. Like I've even stepped on them in the bush. So I uh, stepped on a tiger snake once, and it oh. it sort of it told me off, but it didn't bite me. You know. That's very and, lucky uh, for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the other thing the other thing with our snakes too is we don't have vipers here. So if you're just wearing a pair of jeans or or something along those lines, their teeth aren't going to get through those to get you. So they have huh. very very small teeth. Interesting. I did not know there was no nothing in the family of Viperidae in Australia. That's that's cool. I didn't, or at least in your area, I suppose. Or period. Yeah, that's, nice. that's well, well. Don't don't quote me. I guess, but um, I'm <laughs> very confident there's no vipers here. So that's cool. I mean. The fi- despite the fact that you guys have like man-eating crocodiles and all the dangerous snakes and spiders and stuff, that's cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think insects kill kill a lot of people here. Like you, you know, if we've got the the feral honeybees, same as you guys do, so they're they're probably more dangerous than anything else. If you if you're being realistic about it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of guys talk to me, you know, that don't hunt with dogs, and they, you know, I know a lot of hunters who, you know, the archery or rifles or shotguns or whatever, and um. And they're saying, oh, you know, but your dog's going to get damaged. Well, they've been on tens of thousands of runs. Over, like, I've been hunting 15, 16 years. And I have a lot of friends that hunt with dogs. And I can I can count on one hand the amount of significant injuries to those dogs. Whereas I've got I've got guys that fight professionally, and I can count on two hands the amount of significant injuries that they've, that they've received, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I true. think it's true. You know, like a, a, a greyhound, I've got nothing against track greyhounds, by all means, racy greyhounds, but they're, they're in more danger of dying track-related deaths than um, than our dogs are in the bush, in my opinion. So, yeah, you know, their heart gives way after a race or they or they crumple their body up when they hit a fence or something like that. Well, so is, yeah, hound hunting, is hound hunting pretty big in Australia, Luke? I mean, a lot of Americans think that no Australians are allowed to have firearms, period, of any way, shape, or form. So, you know, a lot of people online, YouTube, see, like, hound hunters in Australia. Is it pretty pretty dang popular there? It's pretty popular, but um, I guess that's my biased opinion because I know a lot of people that hunt with dogs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, you know, with the social media in the last sort of 10 years, I've, I've been introduced to people all over the world that hunt dogs. Um, I'll hunt with dogs, sorry. But, uh, but, no, the firearm thing, yeah, that's a common misconception we've got all sorts here if you if you the the main difference between australia and america i think or two differences is one is you can't have a firearm for personal protection 
which mm-hmm. I think is, is, is wrong on all levels. Um, and then the other one is um, is, is the semi-automatic, uh, uh, heavily regulated. So you can get them, but you have to you, you got to jump through a whole bunch of hoops. You have to be you know it has to be your primary job is to go out and cull feral animals and things like that. So the guys will fly around in the little Robinson R22 choppers shooting donkeys and horses and camels and things like that. They'll they'll run semi-automatic rifles, but not too many people do it at least legally. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, got, I've got a bunch of firearms in my safe And they're just sitting there rusting Because I, mm-hmm. I honestly can't remember the last time I used one Yeah, that's how I am with I got my sight hounds I sold all of my rabbit hunting rifles I don't even want to shoot at a jackrabbit I feel sacrilegious even aiming a gun at a jackrabbit now Save them all So they can I can have good races later That's how I feel about it <laughs> I can't help it. They're oh awesome. Goodness. You know what? I, I'm I'm about to start constructing a new home soon, and I, my wife suggested that we build a little altar that has a little sitting jackrabbit in it. And I was like, "This is why I married you, honey. This is why." <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I. Uh, you know, it's funny too because I was thinking, Luke, seriously, buddy. I mean, we've been talking for months, and I know these episodes can't go for five hours, but I have so many things that I just think the the difference between how you guys view game and how we view game is, is, is so awesome. The dichotomy between the two. And also I think it's really cool how we all overlap in a lot of ways too, because with feral animals, you have this view that they are a nuisance. They are vermin. They are, they are trash, but it it doesn't matter when you hunt game with hounds, you still love them and respect them. Except cats. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I, I don't mind cats. I think, um, they've got their place in the world, but it's certainly not in this country. Like they're, yeah, I circle back to them, but yeah, they're, they're just, yeah. And all levels, they shouldn't be here. It's so, I always, uh, I always said that, that cats are great animals, but I think people should keep them on leashes just like they do dogs. Not, not kick them out the door at night and expect them, you know, oh, they'll come back to the doorstep in the morning. You want, you want to walk your cat? Go, go for it. Keep it on a leash. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I was a kid, there was a guy in the town I grew up with that had a hook for a hand and walked a ferret on a leash. So, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and he was super friendly, too. Not in, like, the free candy kind of way, just, like, in a really cool, genuine way. But, yeah, yeah. He, he was awesome. So that's, a, that's sort of segueing into another one. So we, we use ferrets here um, quite often as well. So in the daytime when the rabbits are in their warrens, uh, we'll go out and, and either flush them directly to the dogs just to give the dogs a chase and the rabbit a fighting chance or we'll put some pouch nets around the holes and then some long nets between between where their holes are and where you reasonably expect them to run to. And, you know, that comes with experience, but you kind of you kind of work it out pretty quickly. And, um, and yeah, go hunting rabbits during the day. That's, that's That'd be awesome. That'd be pretty exciting, yeah. I've always wanted to try that. One day when, when I'm rich and famous, Luke, I want to come to Australia and, and videotape all this because I'm like grinning ear to ear just the entire time thinking about chasing goats and and putting up nets for the rabbits and using ferrets and falling into mine shafts and all that good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. When I, I, uh, when I go hunting, I have every intention to video it, right? So, um I know. I think you've seen all ten videos that I've managed in the last fifteen years because mm-hmm. I just forget about it. I go there and I'm just fully absorbed in what I'm doing. And um, you know, another thing guys say about hunting with dogs, like guys that hunt with you know different different methods, um, 
they say, oh, you're not really part of the hunt because you're not the one pulling the trigger or whatever, but come out for a hunt and yeah. you'll change your mind. Because we're, yeah, you we're don't have to feed your gun. So you don't have to like, you don't have to train your gun either. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to like keep your gun alive and work with it, build a relationship with it either. So yeah. 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 Plus uh, it's a solid couple of years to get, to get a dog to a point where you're confident it's not going to destroy itself out there. So mm -hmm. there's so many, so many things that can injure a dog while it's hunting and especially a sight hound, like the speeds that they do that, you know, they're not, they're not reaching track greyhound speeds, but they're very close. Yeah. They're so fast. That, that's what all to all our Houndsman XP fans. Just keep tuning into the stuff I'm putting up about. But I wish they could see how fast these dang sight hounds can run. It's just amazing. You wouldn't even, Luke. I know this has happened to you, but how many people go? Yeah, my German Shepherd can run 45 miles an hour, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I don't know about that. But okay, <laughs> you know, like they're so amazingly fast and powerful. They're awesome. So, Chris, do you have any questions, bud? I feel like I'm hijacking everything. I just, I'm too excited. I just want to keep bombarding Luke with questions. Uh, I think it's something that you're well suited to uh, to host this thing, and I, I jumped in a few times there. So, but uh, I think the th the thing that I would add <clears throat> is it houndsmanship is a universal language, and uh, it, 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 we talked about it in the beginning but just talking to you luke i can tell that you get the same things that trip your trigger as a houndsman trip my trigger as a houndsman and i'm not running dogs that run 45 miles an hour you know i'm using my dogs in a completely different way but i can still feel the energy that you have and um so th that's my take on the whole thing yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. Like, uh, hunting with dogs, to me, it's it's phenomenal. You know, like, our dogs that we use are not specialist dogs. They're not the fastest dogs. You know, they don't have the best nose. They're, they're, they're not the toughest. But um, but they're a good combination of those things. And, and they're very sort of multi-purpose animals. So they can do a lot similarly to what other dogs can do, you know. So they're not going to track a pig, you know, five, six miles. But they'll, but they'll track it half a mile or a mile for instance mm -hmm. um, so they they're reasonable at what they do and they produce meat so and sure yeah yeah catch catch for animals and look when they don't they don't like it happens things get away and that's what makes it exciting you know heck yeah heck yeah one th one thing that i've been able to develop in from producing this podcast <clears throat> is the the respect and the perspective that you know just because it's not the way I hunt here doesn't mean that, that you're doing something wrong. And just because you're hunting the t a type of a dog that I personally have, have would not hunt doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. You know, if I sent you one of my blue ticks, it wouldn't suit you because that's not your game. And if you sent me a side hound to Indiana, it's probably not going to suit me because it's not my game. So, um, I really enjoy talking. That's, I've said this before, but I am always the beneficiary of producing this podcast by being able to talk to you, expanding my understanding of how houndsmen around the world are using their hounds and developing the, those relationships and respect. So kudos, man. It's cool stuff. Yeah. Heck yeah. Right. 
to me, that that sort of I agree with you wholeheartedly, and that expands out to hunting as well. Like, like I don't think there's any reverence in what anyone does. So, someone hunts with a bow, good, go hunt with a bow. Someone shoots a duck out of the sky with a shotgun, you know. Like, to to me, like that's that's probably that's probably on the border, you know. Like, it, it's you can't guarantee a clean ethical kill. Well, but you're trying. You know, so go for it. By all means, yeah. go try it. Do your best. If something gets injured, that's that is part of hunting. You know, and um, and I fully support guys that use guns, and I fully support guys that use dogs. Um, the only thing I'll say about the dogs is, I genuinely don't think the animals feel any pain. So, I think that they have the fight and flight. They have a dump of adrenaline, whatever other chemicals they have in their body, and they run. And yeah, when the dogs catch them, they know they've been caught. But uh, but I, I don't think they feel it. To be honest with you. So I was speaking to Seth the other day and I was saying, like, I've, I've been involved in, uh, I was in law enforcement for five years and I've been injured quite a few times and, and a couple of times fairly significantly. And uh, I didn't, I knew what happened, you know, like this bone broke and then that bone broke and then this tendon snapped and so on and so forth, um, all in separate incidents. And I knew it happened and I computed that, but I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call what I felt pain. So and I think uh, the animals are the same. Like Seth, you, you hunt hares and they go stiff as a board after you catch them. Mm-hmm. So they've had all sorts of chemicals dumped through their body. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and they're prey animals too. So I think they 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 either designed or evolved, whichever whichever you subscribe to, um, to be a prey animal. That's why they've got eyes on the side of their head, and that's why they run instead of fight. So mm-hmm. yeah, the biochemical processes. I mean, when you accidentally cut yourself with a knife. For the, and that's not even when you're, you know, running for your life or, or fighting or whatever, you know, you're just like, ah, you just kind of like, oh, dang, like I just cut myself. But there are, there are, I, I agree with you, Luke, and, and this is coming from a as scientific a perspective as I can bring, a, a biomedical as, as a wildlife biologist could bring, but there are so many um, protective hormones surging through that bloodstream that their body isn't in the mood to compute those kinds of trivial things. They're, they're like you said, the adrenaline is there to keep you going. And so yeah, um, right. the thing with a hair too is that it's over so fast that it's it's so quick. You know what I mean? They catch a hair and it's it's toast. I mean, it's a seven yeah. pound hair. So, but yeah, yeah, I'm with you 100 percent on that. I think. And but also, I, mean, I want to do. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, in one of these incidents I was talking about, I, I I broke a leg bone right, and it was sticking out of my body, and I chased this guy 200 meters, caught him, fought him, beat him, it was done. And it was like two hours later that I went, oh, actually, my leg's starting to hurt now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but if I walk around the back of a vehicle and smash my shin on a toe ball, that thing's agony. <laughs> I'm going to pass out. So, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think they feel it. I mean, if they do, they do. But the other thing is once that dog's got its teeth into an animal, that's it. That animal's caught. You know, there's, it's not walking off with an arrow that you know deflected off a leaf or something or a foul shot. And, and nothing mm-hmm. against hunting. In, like I hunt, I trap, I do all sorts of stuff. Like, but uh, yep. but yeah, I think the dogs are extremely humane. Mm-hmm. I agree. Opinion. It's a good feather in our hat, and it's a good way to put it because we definitely support all hunting, all sportsmen of all kinds. And I myself am a big game hunter with firearms and bow, so um, I definitely support. Support it and subscribe to it all, but I agree with you. And, and a lot of people think hounding is is um, inhumane, and and it's just really important that we get out there that no, it's it's definitely not. 
So no, um, it's not. I don't think it is. Like I'm not an animal rights activist by any means. I don't think they have rights. But you know, animal welfare, absolutely. So you know that that includes your dog and the animal that it's chasing. Mm-hmm. You know, and right. and farmers, animals, and all that. Every, yeah. Everything comes into play, and I think you know we're we're here to on this earth and sell the animals and treat them with the respect they deserve. Totally agree. Totally agree. I would add, I would add real quick and I'll go on record as saying it. Um, you know, most of the time when these comments are made about how use of hounds being unfair, not being fair chase, being inhumane, it's spoken out of ignorance, you know, because people aren't familiar with it. And, our culture has become masterful of the Disney world we live in where animals have families and friends and feelings and all this stuff. And, and some of it comes from that, but from other hunters, it comes from a standpoint of being selfish. What you do interferes with, with what I do, or I have this perception that it will. So therefore I don't approve of what you do. And so we get that attitude, but I would also add that houndsmen can be just as, as guilty by making broad general statements that, you know, the deer hunters are going to ruin my hunting. And, and I think what the message we're trying to get out here, and I hear you talking about, Luke, is we need to embrace all forms of hunting. There is nothing that is is sacrificial we can't afford to lose any part of hunting and in order for us to continue to hunt and carry on the lifestyle that we do we're going to need all hands on deck and we need to be figuring out how to make all the friends we can because individually we cannot stand without these other hunting so so i'd agree to that and i'd say i'd go one step further to say and i don't know if it's the same in america but it certainly is here the the animal rights type people they're they're a minority of the country but they're not silly people right and they're probably coming from a a, a sympathetic or empathetic point of view and and i understand that good good for them as well but they're smart they go into they you know they they lobby they go to parliament or they're members of parliament Mm -hmm. and um and they slowly erode your rights one at a time so death by a thousand cuts if they just said no hunting everyone would stand up and look after each other but if they say you know no fishing in this lake no no shooting with a bow no shooting with a shotgun or you know, and they, and they slowly they slowly start to erode your rights. Well, eventually you run out of them. Mm-hmm. And then the it's tactics. people are hunting in that in that manner. So no, like let's say they got rid of bow hunting somehow. They successfully got rid of it. No one's teaching their children or their grandchildren how to bow hunt, and it's lost. And uh, and then eventually hunting goes. So mm-hmm. the tactics, no no international boundary there. That is exactly the tactic that is used in the United States. You know. We just say, well, we just we don't want to we don't want to ban all hunting. We just want to take away this barbaric part, you know, this unfair part, and they they control the net. We allow them to control the narrative, mm-hmm. and then other groups of hunters are like, well, that you know, they're not talking about hunting deer out of tree stands, so maybe we'll give them that, and and they'll go away. Yeah. When they're not going away. They are not going away. They're, they're, going, going, to, they're going to go through each part incrementally, and we just talk to. Uh, uh, a representative vice president of sportsman's alliance which which um, will be airing soon and and we talk about this whole thing so mm-hmm. good perspective it's and again shows the the relationship and the uh, parallels between hunting here and also in australia so good stuff yeah heck yeah 
Man, I'm loving it. Luke, I want to get down there and hunt with you sometime, bud. Well, you're welcome anytime. Well, I think we're... What else have we got to cover here, Seth? Oh, man. I've asked the majority of the main points I had written down, but I could keep going for hours and hours and hours because I also really wanted to emphasize, you know, how you work with dogs and ferrets together and stuff. Luke, you got any fun? You got any final thoughts? Uh, I think Seth mentioned terriers before, so we can just quickly chat about them if you want. Yeah, go for it. So the guys run two main types of terriers here. So they run Jack Russell terriers and Paddedale terriers. Um, I, I personally prefer the Jack Russells um, because they're, in my opinion, they're a lot weaker than the Pats. So they'll go into a big log pile. So like when they when they clear farmland, they push all the rocks and logs up into a pile and then they go clear another bit and so on and so forth. So you drive through that farmland and you hit pile after pile and you drop the dogs in. And what I prefer is that the fox comes flying out and the long dogs chase it down and kill it or, or someone gets it with a shotgun um but the pats they'll they'll want to kill the thing in the hole so if they get a hold of it they're not letting go they are, i don't know maybe do some googling into them if you're not familiar with them already but they are phenomenal dogs they've got such high drive and um they're, they're just like a small version of a pit bull i think um so gnarly <laughs> yeah so gnarly but they, they tell you is they for a small dog oh they've got a lot of heart like I know one of my mates, he's he's got a pat, and um, he's doing 110 k's an hour, which is 80, 90 miles, I guess. And um, he had it in a canopy in the back of his truck, and the window fell out or or slid open, and the dog jumped, and uh, he found it three days later, alive. Holy moly! They've got they're incredibly <laughs> strong. Hey Luke, tell me what mm. you think about a whippet cross to a terrier. Do you think that would be a good little fox chaser? I think in in certain situations it would be. So um, it, it wouldn't add any value out in the open. Like you might as well just use a straight whip it. Um, and down a hole, it would probably be too big. But in, in certain situations like where like you get the tussock sort of grass, which is, which is probably about knee height and it's really tightly packed, it looks like... Um, I don't know how to explain it, but but basically little knobs everywhere, all all closely intertwined. Through that, it'd it'd catch the foxes and destroy them. But um, we do a lot of crosses here. We do we do cross dogs, and you know for the hybrid vigor side of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it'd, it'd have its place. Um, maybe in the blackberries as well to go and flush some pigs out of there. Um, it'd work, but. It wouldn't suit what I do. I see a lot of lot of stag hounds. They're so popular, and I get it, man. Those are some those are some really good dogs. All around yeah, us, too. They can handle anything, that, really. That's the word I was going to use. Yeah, they 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 can just do so many jobs and and relatively well. I think they, you know, I don't know if they're an underrated dog, but they but but they can, you know, they're no they're no perfectionist at any one task. But I, I love them. I reckon they're awesome. Yeah, they they are super tough. How much does a big stag weigh in Australia? What what do you guys think is a big stag? The largest I've run is thirty two kilos. Oh wow, so yeah, that's big. Get your, cal- get your calculator out. I don't know what that is in pounds, but um, seventy pounds. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good size. I've seen some coyote dogs that are around a hundred. There are some monsters. I call those werewolves. Man, those things are yeah. Like- <laughs> Those are yeah, a couple of guys here dogs. have have some wolfhound in their stags, so they'll they'll cross wolf into them to get a, a a bigger dog. But I mean, genetically, if you trace back wolfhounds, they they're actually extinct. So they you know they've got 
some sort of Dane cross with a something hairy anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's whatever works really. Mm-hmm. But I think 30, 30 kilos is about is about the cutoff. So, um, I've got friends that hunt kangaroos with the staghounds. So, some indigenous people that I'm friends with here, they in, in my state they're allowed to do it, and then in other states you can you can hunt them. And um, you want a dog around that, around thirty kilos. Um, anything smaller is just going to get thrown about like a rag doll, and anything big is right. not going to catch them. So, so you got to get that right combination. Let me. Okay, wow, I didn't even think about that. I've always been so geared into the feral stuff. So the indigenous are allowed to hunt kangaroos with their dogs. Yes. Have well, ever... that's not entirely true. If the the if they're a tribal person or if they're an elder of a of a tribe. Um, then they're allowed to, but not anyone who happens to be indigenous. So if they're living in the city, um, you know, working nine to five sort of thing, probably not so much. It, it's um, a real grey area, and it's probably very culturally sensitive. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, yes, there's there's definitely lines in the sand, and it's just a matter of which side of that you're on. So sure, sure, I've been sure. I've been out with the the indigenous guys with their roo dogs a few times, and um, it's incredible. I mean, I'm. If you don't mind, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine that. Like, I, I can't imagine that. What's What's that like? Like, how do you do that? So, like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, either night or daytime. They've They've got to get them. They've got to get the dog to see the roof. Um, predominantly at night. So you drive into a paddock or a, a low lying scrub, so you can put eyes on a kangaroo and the dog sees it, um, and then release the dogs. And it's it's no it's not dissimilar to you know a hare or a fox or something like that. I mean they're chasing an animal to catch it and the animal's running to get away. And kangaroos are incredibly fast. Like you know if you jump on Google and see how fast a kangaroo is, oh. I think they find another gear or two when a dog's after them. I'm not sure where they got their stats from, but I'm pretty sure a dog wasn't chasing it because, boy, they move. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and the thing is, too, I'm, what are you, are you hunt, what species are, were they hunting? I mean, I, I, red kangaroos are like giant bipedal rat elk or something. They're like humongous. Like, how, what are you hunting? What, well, not you. What were they hunting? Yeah, I've, I've hunted all. I've been with them and hunted um, reds, greys, wallabies, oh. and wallaroos. And wallaroos are, are sort of shoulder-height animals, um, and they are just little nuggets. And uh, to me, I think they're the most dangerous of the lot, like more, more so than a big red. I mean, the big red guy, he's if he gets a good kick in on your dog, he's going to damage your dog. Um, but the but the wallaroo, he sort of tucks into a ball and just fights sort of tooth and nail. And um, Wow. Hmm. Yeah. And they so, got some pretty formidable claws, don't they? Yeah, they do. Like, I mean, they, it depends where they are. If they're in the rocky country, they, they get ground down to little nubs and, and you know, then the, the danger to the dogs there is falling off the side of a sort of a, a small limestone outcrop or something. But, um, but uh, no, like, yeah, they do. If, if um, you don't want to be on the receiving end of one, put it that way. No. Yeah. What, what are they? Um, I think. Well, if you haven't, if the world hasn't seen this video, there's a famous video of an Australian guy that runs out and punches a kangaroo in the face that's trying to strangle his pig dog. And I yeah. was thinking, you ever go out there and try to catch him, Luke? <laughs> so, uh, so I uh, can segue into that if you want. So, what happened there is his dogs were out of the ute. They'd smelled some pig odor, 
and they were casting so they were sort of zigging left left and right left and right trying to trying to kind of like echo location but with their nose pick up where where these pigs are and um the kangaroos were asleep there was a mob of them asleep and the dogs bumped into the kangaroo and the dog has no intention of touching the kangaroo that that type of dog and and greg's his name greg tonkins um he, that was his dog max and <laughs> Roo jumped wow. up grabbed the dog on its chest plate and sort of tackled it because the, the you know it was too close to run away so it's just an unfortunate event where the two intertwined with each other and if, if you watch the video again i mean it went viral so i'm sure you can find it um that dog has zero interest whatsoever in that kangaroo he's, yeah he's just he's, standing there he's, yeah, he's uh, averting his gaze. He wants nothing to do with it. He's like, no, no, this wasn't, this wasn't me, Dad. Um, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, Greg obviously goes across to, to disengage it too. And look, those boys had rifles in the car. They had every right to shoot the kangaroo. And um, he chose not to. And yeah, you've got all your comments online. I saw a lot of them. But I, I challenge you to stand up to a kangaroo that shapes yeah. up to you. And see <laughs> yeah, that was... <laughs> Wow, that's cool that you know him. Wow. Dang, Luke, you get around, bud. Yeah. <laughs> I know so, all the cool people, Steph. That's how come I know you, mate. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, how? Yeah. Uh, let me ask, what, when, when you were hunting with those indigenous guys, what are they running after the kangaroos? Are they using, like, big stags, or what are they? I'm trying to imagine what a good roo sight hound looks like. Uh, so they're using stag hounds, but, but generally speaking, they're using short-haired stag hounds. So most, mm. most of the guys that I know are, are up in the gold fields and, and you know, and then the north of Western Australia, I live in Western Australia, and um, and so they have a short-haired version. So they've they've crossed deerhound ground and, and worker-to-worker, same mm-hmm. as everyone else has, but they're running the short-haired ones so they don't overheat. Oh, so gotcha. The other thing that we get in, in certain sections of our bush, and again, it's all different, um, with a really wiry-haired sort of deerhound-looking stags, we get a lot of burrs, mm. and... Um, Pretty much every single plant here, except for a gum tree, has a spike of some description on it. So, um, yeah, our bush isn't isn't great. Yeah, it's like New Mexico. It's everything's poisonous, stabby, or a combination of both. So, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's cool. The short-haired stags. I think a lot of people call those cold blood greyhounds here in America. But again, there's so much. That's why I was so pumped when you were throwing down scientific names, man. <laughs> like, there's common names for every. Like, one thing can have twenty different names. So. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then again, like, I mean, do you guys armor them up or like? Well, again, they, no. do they armor them up or they just run them flat out and the dogs figure no, it they, out? Or no, they run them flat out. So the, a couple of the guys I know will run a, a sort of a fairly thick collar, um, and the, and it's a loose fitting collar, so it's like made out of seatbelt webbing or something along those lines. Um, and the idea there is that. It's difficult to explain, I guess, but when the when the kangaroo gets caught by the dog, it's not standing up, right? So, so the dog chases the kangaroo. This thing's flat out doing doing whatever its top speed is, and the dog basically trips it over. It goes for a slide for several meters across the ground, and as it's sliding, the dog picks a place to to grab, right? So, an experienced dog, he'll he'll grab it on the stifle muscle, which is like between its between its hips and its knee joint, basically, and um. A nice big deep bite and just 
just give it everything it's got shaking and as the and as the animal tries to defend itself um the dog will pull backwards which you've you know no doubt you've seen dogs do that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. shake again and then when it feels the feels the root start to weaken or, or it senses its opportunity to transfer um it'll go for the back on a big root anyway it'll go for the back of the head and um oh wow and, and try to do that cervical dislocation i was, I was talking about earlier um, on a small root, it'll just trip it over, grab it over its shoulders, crush its chest, shake, and it's dead immediately. Like it's a small to medium root's got no chance against a, a greyhound type dog. Um, but the bigger ones that put up a fight, yeah, they've got to they've got to sort of wear them down a touch, and then slip around and do that. So, but the root's defending itself against the dog, and it's it, a big one's difficult to kill. So, when it's on its back. It's, it's kicking its legs basically up under its own jaw, just missing the yeah. side of its head and, and then kicking out as best it can towards the dog. And it'll continue to do that. Like I, I've seen the you know toes go in their eyes and the, the boys have to pull the toe out. And the dog doesn't get blind. It just, its eye gets pushed to the one side and then it comes back and it's just sitting there wagging its tail. So, um, oh, man, dogs are awesome. <laughs> amazing creatures. Yeah, but, um, man. If the root kicks past the dog's shoulder or up past its throat and it connects with this collar, its foot goes between the collar and the dog. And because it's such a wide collar, it's not choking the dog out at all. It's got all this all this surface area to disperse that energy, and that foot's now out of the game. Hmm. So and then does the kangaroo stop kicking with that leg, and then the dog just can maneuver better? Or? Yeah, just hmm. so their their legs, they've got really strong muscles in one direction and really weak muscles in the other direction so wow you know they've got to just go up and they'll, they'll grab a kangaroo like one hand on each foot and pull it out it'll kick it'll kick towards them they'll go for a bit of a hop backwards and then pull it out basically dog pulling one way from the head and then pulling the other way from the toes and then they'll transfer those legs into one hand and you've got enough strength in in an average person's arm um mm-hmm. to stop that kangaroo from being able to pull its legs back in Wow, it's like a pig. Yeah, it's like it's like wheelbarrow on a pig. That's going to pick it up on the by the back legs and and uh, flip it over. Chris, let's go to Australia and and we'll drive north with with Luke and we'll go up to those gold fields and let's let's uh let's see you try to wrestle a kangaroo down, Chris. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I want to go over there though because the, there's a lot of cool stuff in Australia. You guys can actually drive Toyotas with diesel motors and. And, uh, you know, all the thing, all the cool stuff that's outlawed here in the United States, you guys can do <laughs> over there, it seems like. That's for sure. There's some neat stuff. Yeah, there's oh, a... Oh, go ahead. The country is packed full of laws, right? So, and this this is the other thing that we that we have to be really careful is not only is there different laws for different states, but then there's different laws for different. Uh, I think what you might call counties and we call shires within those states. So, so yeah. something that's legal on one half of my mate's farm is illegal on the other half because there's a that's crazy. One that runs up it. So. Yeah, you, you have to be incredibly careful what you do. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recant a little bit here, Luke. There are a lot of th- cool things that we can do in the United States that you can't do over there, too. Yeah, I'm uh, both. That's for sure. This, so it's a two-way street. I'm going to recant that statement a little bit. I want to yeah. take Luke to Texas where, like, one guy made a law, and they just, like, beat him up. And they were like, never mind, you can do anything you want. <laughs> like, like, when I go to Texas, it's insane. We... I mean, fully automatic rifles, thermal scopes, every, they were just like, how do you want to hunt a pig? And I was like, I mean, I don't know. And they're like, well, any way you want is legal. So 
yeah, it's crazy there. <laughs> it's awesome though. Um, yeah. and, and that's the other thing as far as as far as legality is concerned like I, I i don't break any firearms laws and um i don't break any dog laws either so the reason being is like going back to what you said at the start of the podcast is you know we're our own worst enemy if we if we go flaunting laws and getting caught getting charged and getting convicted um and people love it like you said you know, like you, how, how would you know that Greg snotted a kangaroo if it didn't go onto a viral video. Mm-hmm. You know, true. and I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you about destroying the things with dogs and and you know, you know, I think people would have kittens if they uh, if they saw what we do or what people do. But at the moment it's legal. Um, it depends how, how much people jump up and down about it and Well, you know. people people are going people are gonna go have kittens just based on normal ag life even here in the united states people don't understand what butchering a chicken is or uh you know their own meat people we live in a society where you know people kill kill their meat with their checkbook and and uh you know meat meat grows on the meat tree and is produced in this nice little cellophane wrapper Mm -hmm. somehow the meat fairy puts it in the in the display case at the grocery store so uh, we can't keep tiptoeing around all that stuff. It happens, and it's part of life, and and we we can't be apologetic about it. But we don't need to be reckless with the information right. either. And the point no, of podcasts like this is to explain reasonably and and with as much nuance as possible why and how because there's it's the story is so deep and complex, you know. And so yep. that's the yep. that's the most important part is that we're out here explaining these things and. And talking about it in an honest and real way, and and hopefully a very well, not hopefully a very sincere way that someone that's kind of on the fence about it can be like, oh, okay, like these guys really do love the quarry, they love the land, and and they love their dogs and the sport or the lifestyle. It isn't a sport; it's it really is a lifestyle. There's so much to it, mm-hmm. and it's so, just like the whole it's like the whole feral cat thing. You know, ninety nine percent of the people in the United States. You'll never get buy-in for that sort of thing. But the reason is, is because they have not been directly affected like the people of Australia have been about a, with a feral cat. And, and so while we do have a problem with feral cats in the United States, it's not going to be a widely accepted practice for me to try to rig feral cats while I'm rolling down the road and, and, and hunt feral cats. Mm. It's just, it's just not, but it all goes back to that thing, and I've got some friends that live in the South. You know, it's it's uh, southern United States, and um, they don't like people from the North or anybody telling, sticking their nose in their business. So, as from the United States, I am not going to pass judgment on somebody from Australia because you've got a real problem and you've got a way that you deal with it. Go for it. That's your freedom. You don't need me telling you how to do it. So we have a, we have a lot of critically endangered animals here, and and yep. cats are cats. Like I said at the start, they're a scourge, and so so I facilitate a small hunting group here. I'm the coordinator of it um, through through one of my businesses, and um, basically what we do. So there's a council that is in charge of of rehabilitating um, a, a type of possum, so a western ringtail possum. They're they're on the critical. Um, list and so they'll be looking that up they're so awesome yeah yeah it's it's, it's (laughs) quite interesting so um they they go out this council goes out and they scout a whole bunch of different land private and government land 
and they find areas and, you know, they, they take into account um, bushfires and however many seasonal fires and 100-year floods and all that sort of stuff and work out where the best place to release them is based on the fauna there and then they engage local landowners and they plant certain species of trees in, in order to, to keep this thing going um, and then they release them. So I can't tell you the stats of because I've, I've promised I won't. Um, but they're not great so the success the success rate is very very low um so what we've recently been engaged to do is they will they will um do an audit of the area with with um trail cameras and bait stations and things like that and try to get an understanding of the population density of cats and foxes and then they'll give us a target and we'll go in and once we've achieved that target um then they'll go and release those animals so uh, it's it's the first time it's been done um, with a with a purely volunteer group of people. So we're not our laws are really convoluted, and so if we do it on a purely volunteer basis, um, it it gets rid of all the red tape. So we can go in there mm-hmm. and That's do awesome. what we need to do. Yeah, it's it's really good. So you know they That's... they they rec- recognise what we're doing through my private company. Um, you know, I've sent you some of the photos, uh, Seth, you know, of the, the cats and foxes hanging on the fence and the fact that we're, that we're able to catch those animals and, like, we, for the government, we can't do it with dogs, right? So they, because it's touchy-feely and they don't want the greenies up in arms, but we can go in there and shoot them. So that's what we're doing um, on a volunteer basis. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's incredibly difficult to catch a cat or even to shoot one so yeah and they, I think uh, they what are you guys are doing is amazing the, yeah i think yeah. what you're doing is that's the best way to to bridge the gap between people on the fence about hunting and and not and and real hunters because i mean you guys are helping in every way and and what a great way to show that you're helping you know you're doing the environment a service you're doing the people of australia service you're doing everyone a service and and everyone's winning and so man that's awesome luke i didn't know that that's and all the months that's super cool man so yeah, it's uh, that's cool. so, i mean you're, ne- you're never going to shoot them all you're never going to trap them all you're never going to poison them all and and you know you would understand more about the epigenetics of an animal than i do but you know you you cull out the most of them and the ones you've got left are only going to breed incredibly difficult animals to poison trap or shoot so Look, I think in the future, I think using using dogs, so using like a specialist dog, like a Springer Spaniel or something like that, to go and to go and locate that cat in order for you to shoot it, um, or send the dogs or flush it out of the pile or mm-hmm. you know scare it out of a tree or whatever the case may be. Um, that's up there, and I'm talking to them about it. It's going to be a long road, but that's that's how we'll actually mop up the final ones that are there, and they're the ones with the genetics that you need to you need to mop up. You don't mm-hmm. want those ones. Breaking. So, yeah. Well, I think uh, I think a guy that... worth googling. Sorry, a guy worth googling is a guy called Steve Austin, and he does that specifically with Springers, and um, and goes all over the world and goes out to islands and rids them of rats and things like that. And he's an incredible sort of advocate for using a dog for a function you know he uses them to find numbats and koalas and and even to detect uh water leaks underground um for the wow. uh for the water corporation so you know because the water's got some chlorine levels in it and this guy's I, amazing i would say to all the listeners uh and then i i'm good but i tell you right now the listeners need to do two things google what a numbat is because that oh, is sorry. the craziest little animal ever and also, they need to Google what a bilby is, 
Because a bilby is like if a kangaroo and a jackrabbit had a baby together. And they're like very endangered now because of cats. And so my dream is to come to Australia. I want to go. I want to climb at Grampians National Park. I want to see a bilby. I want to see an echidna. And I want to see a numbat. And then also now I want to hunt with Luke and see Chris tackle a kangaroo. <laughs> so, well, the, uh, the, those days are gone, yeah, man. <laughs> so we bump into those every now and again. But um, in all the years I've been hunting, and I spend a lot of time in the bush, I've seen one bilby. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> that broke my heart. Uh, yeah, we see, uh, see quolls out there fairly often. So if you're Q- oh, yeah. If you're on Google and you're looking up numbats, you might as well have a look at the quolls. So, yeah. But once once this possum thing's um, underway, the next the next one for us is actually is actually numbats. So there's a, a place in Williams in Western Australia where they they're going to be releasing a bunch of numbats. So some that were bred at the zoo and then others that are being taken care of by volunteers and coordinated by one of our state universities. So um, we'll be getting in there as well. So, but I'll I'll coordinate that with a a thing we call it the red card right so uh, there's several there's several in the state and it's a volunteer basis thing um where people go it's a it's a fox shoot and they do like a they they get a bunch of farmers and introduce them to a, a, a bunch of recreational hunters and they have a, a shoot overnight and a tally and you know through one of my businesses we and, and my brother as well um through one of his we donate to that red card every year and um prizes and, and things like that and um digressing and tell me to shut up if i need to but um yeah my <laughs> pet food business and uh so basically i've i've organized with all the facilitators of the red cards that any meat that is salvageable for pet meat so goats deer pigs um mm-hmm. rabbits and so on gets donated to him he puts it through his minces and sells it as um as raw dog food so awesome. head on in all, all the off yeah. for everything that a dog needs goes through the minces and comes out packaged awesome nice that's sweet nice well luke most of the time we have problems with guests not wanting to talk <laughs> you know they they get they get nervous and and so the the conversation gets awkward and and things like that we've done pretty good on the podcast it's it, uh most of our guests have been outstanding and you've certainly not disappointed either i think it's uh amazing what you guys are doing over in australia with your hounds i would really like to talk to you in the future about um some of these programs that that australian houndsmen are you're trying to participate in active wildlife management and conservation and i think that is going to be the the um message that we have to carry forward as houndsmen in order for us to survive and keep this lifestyle alive and we just have to keep plugging away we have to keep getting the message out there and and be relentless on on getting that message out there but also do it in a way where it's palatable for the public and um so there's a there's a there's a a message there to be had we just got to continue to hone our skills on how we're going to deliver this message and i think you guys are right on track over there we do need to wrap this dude up and um i appreciate you coming on luke thanks yeah that's awesome i appreciate the opportunity so i've enjoyed myself hopefully i've uh, explained it sort of adequately enough I'm, like i said from the start i don't represent everyone i'm just just talking about yep. the type of hunting that that i enjoy doing so 
Well, Luke, we have a way that we always close out these podcasts. And uh, so one of these days, Seth and I, I'd love to get over there and, and hunt with you. And if I could get a blue tick over there, he's probably more than going to be more than happy to maybe chase a cat or, or a bilby or a wombat or, <gasps> or whatever. But but my dogs aren't going to chase like yours do. So when we turn these dogs loose, you got to make sure of one thing. You follow your hounds, I'll follow mine. <laughs>